dig this. First 125, Moro here from Grundle. Kingsley turns that five sideways. Brian, the gate is down. This is a sharp left-hander. Who's going to shot? Looks like Darcy Lange on that Richmond gal Kawasaki gets the jump. That's where it all started. Big MX Radio, brought to you by Meta, is on the air. Fueled by passion, focused on motocross. Fly Racing, Bills Pipes, W Wheels, Motul MX, X-Brand Goggles, Moto Ice Wrap, and Moto Stuff make it possible to bring you the news, the interviews, and the point of views inside the sport of motocross. The gate's about to drop on Big MX Radio. Welcome to the Arma Energy Drink Big MX Radio Podcast Show brought to you by Moto Stuff and Meta. I am your host, Brad Gebhardt. With us on the line, we've got Scott Hart of Moto Stuff. Scott, how's it going? Great. We're finally getting some nice warm weather here. The riding season is uh, just about to kick into full swing in the Northwest, so pumped about that. Looking forward to getting back on the bike myself and you know, seeing all the riders that we support in the area and just getting a new season started. Getting ready to see that motocross family that's all too familiar, uh, for like, like not, not very much unlike here in Manitoba. Uh, I'm sure there's a big donut hole in, uh, in your riding season as, uh, as snow and ice comes with winter. But, uh, as things melt, uh, the, everyone comes out of the woodwork and, uh, usually the bikes are a little bit more cleaned up as they, than they were, uh, in some time in, yeah, I hate to admit it, but being an older guy, I kind of got spoiled. I I don't race much in the winter time. You know, the the mud around here is just just tears your bike up and yeah. takes so long to clean. And but there are opportunities to ride in the Northwest. We've got a couple of indoor arena cross series and a couple of winter tracks. Woodland's really popular, but I just try to you know kind of take a break over winter just because it's so gnarly trying to keep them clean and and not ruining your bike but a lot of the guys we support run all year round and it's a lot of opportunity here in the northwest to ride that's incredible like just uh, to for the, the dedication to be on on the on two wheels uh around the calendar not uh not a, a cheap endeavor by any means. Uh, in, in fact, sometimes here in Manitoba, I'm almost half happy that it's uh, it's getting closer to, to November, knowing that uh, I'm not going to have to uh, uh, have a have a parts list on my hands uh, every other weekend. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I kind of look forward to the break nowadays. You know, but um, definitely looking forward to getting back on the bike. Yes, sir. So my when- age, you know, I'm in my mid fifties. The first three to four weeks of riding is just working through, you know, kind of working through the arm pump and yeah. getting all your joints back into shape or out of shape, however you want to look at it. <laughs> in the, uh, in the off season. Yep. Yep. So, uh, wh- where did this passion all start for you? Um, a guy, and obviously this uh, summer or the, this season, you'll be going into. Uh, I'm probably thinking about uh, year number forty-five on uh, on two wheels. 
Yeah, probably pretty close to that. I think my first bike was a Bonanza mini bike. And then first dirt bike was a 1976 uh, Honda TL 125 trials bike. That I'm not sure how I ended up with that, but it, uh, I tried to motocross that thing. I remember going to a couple of races on it and I broke the spokes out of the wheels on it. And so eventually ended up on a, a 76 CR125 and what a difference in that was way back in 76, 77. And I took Did a little bit of a silver and green one? Uh, that one was all red. Oh, really? And, uh, actually, you know, I think the 76 was red chassis and tank, but the engine was still black. And I probably painted it red, though, because I think the 77s came out all red. But there you go. did that. You know, we, we lived on a farm until we could... Yeah, as the wheat fields would rotated, we'd have a motocross track in the field that was fallow for the year. And just, it was fun. We had great sand tracks and stuff and had all our buddies out and would race and have a blast. So that's kind of how I got into it. My dad rode and got us bikes and it was just a pretty typical story, I think. Absolutely. It's a, it's a common story and it's one uh, that cultivates a lot of passion for, for a sport that uh, kind of runs us through the full gamut of, of, uh, of, uh, of elation and frustration and, uh, and everything. And uh, what is it that's always kept bringing you back? Yeah, after college, uh, got a job and... Uh, actually bought a couple of new bikes. I think it was 84, 85. I bought some new KTMs, <clears throat> which I thought, okay, these are like, at that time, they were the, the epitome of bikes. And, uh, but I had all kinds of problems with them, the transmissions going out of them and ended up just kind of getting frustrated and kind of hung up my boots for a while and uh, focused on my career. And I worked in the automotive industry for about almost 20 years. And just after piloting a desk for so long, I thought, you know, I need to get back into shape, do something that I enjoy and ended up getting back on a bike and really enjoying it. And that was around 2000, 2001. And then started racing again. And when the, the Honda CRF 450s came out, I think that was 2002 or three. Yeah. And uh, the four stroke revolution was just something I was really interested in just like the smooth, tractable power and, uh, easy, but got back into it. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and kind of how I got <clears throat> into brakes, uh, my automotive career, one of the, uh, markets we were in was adapting, uh, Brembo brake systems off like Porsches and Mercedes. We would adapt those onto other cars like Audi, BMW, and Volvo, that kind of thing. And right. I learned a lot in that process about how important it is to use, you know, quality materials and, and engineering. And um, I think I, I had a, a 280 oversized floating kit on my 450, and it just within a couple months it was making noise and clicking, and just wasn't real happy with it. And I remember I was a huge Wyndham fan back in the day, and went to Seattle Supercross and. I was always intrigued by, you know, the unobtainium stuff that the teams had, the HRC brakes and that kind of stuff. And I just took some really close-up pictures through the fence of Wyndham's bike and actually hand drew a brake rotor and had a buddy of mine laser out about 10 of them and 
that was kind of how we got started. Um, wow. Other writers would see it at the track, say, hey, where'd you get that? And after a while, I thought, yeah, maybe I'll make some and see what happens. And it was a little bit of trial and error, the materials, and heat treating, that kind of thing. But uh, eventually, we had a, a part that was uh, that performed really well. Point that uh, the, the rotors that you'll be working on would morph into something that uh, Kevin Windham would. No, I mean, I, I remember distinctly one time we were out riding in the desert, me and three of my riding buddies, we were camping on a, like a long weekend and um, talking about it. So wouldn't it be awesome if someday Wyndham was running our brakes? And about four or five years after that, that actually happened. And, you know, through the Geico team and working with those guys, it was, uh, it's still hard to believe how it all transpired, but you know, we originally started as a Honda specialist. The company was called CRF Stuff. And um, I just kind of ran it in my spare time, evenings and weekends. And just the passion for the sport uh, just kind of slowly grew that into a really respected brand. And uh, a couple of years ago, I had the opportunity to start doing it full time. And I thought, yeah, I better, I better branch out because just being Honda specific kind of limited our, our opportunities to grow. And uh, that's when we started Moda stuff and it's been fantastic ever since. It really has been. And, uh, most people, you mentioned unobtainium. We, we often think that, uh, uh, the parts and accessories that come on these factory bikes that, uh, you, you simply can't buy. In the first place, it's all custom stuff, but that couldn't be further from the truth when it comes to moto stuff. Uh, the very same stuff that's stopping uh, Justin Bogle's bike uh, coming into the, uh, coming in hot on a first corner in a Supercross can be found and can be uh, on the website and can be placed on uh, on any um, stock set of wheels or even a set of uh, of, of WUSA wheels. Yeah, there's uh, a lot of really trick works stuff at the top level of the sport. And uh, we do make some custom stuff for Team Honda and Geico, but it's the, the rotors themselves and the brackets are the same as you, or it's our retail product. The, the only stuff that's unique to them is they have these uh, unobtainium forks that have different lugs on them. So we have to make special brackets for them that just have different bolt hole spacing. But the rotors, the heat treating process, I mean, the same part. I mean, we sell the exact same part that we sell the team Honda and Geico. And wow. in fact, now we've, we've got uh, cycle trader, rock river on the Yamahas. We've got monster energy, Kawasaki, barn pros. Kawasaki yeah, barn pros on the Yamahas. Uh, uh, so team micro built with Suzuki's. Uh, yeah. so I believe you got, are you guys are on Slayton as well? I correct. Yeah. We've also got, uh, uh, Moto Concepts, Mike and Vince are using our stuff. There you and go. Like all these t- teams did a lot of extensive testing, you know, because we're pretty small. A lot most places have never even heard of us, and um, so they definitely want to try it, and make sure that it's not just our all our hype that uh, we're we're banking on. They they test it, they like it, and then we work something out. 
Well, what exactly do uh, do the riders love about it? It found it seems like it's not, I wouldn't say an overnight success, but it seems like uh, in a very short amount of time, uh, even since we first uh, talked in December of uh, of two thousand and fourteen, that uh, that like it was almost strictly a Honda stuff, and you had uh, like uh, you. The brakes on uh, specifically, it was just with Geico, and kind of uh, in a short amount of time, uh, just about everybody wants to uh, grab a fistful of moto stuff. I'd say that the biggest thing, you know, at the level that uh, pros are riding at nowadays, you know, they're they're right on the ragged edge of traction on every inch of the track, and so to build confidence in in their bike and in their the the different systems they they want that consistent performance at, under all conditions you know some some products will fade or the modulation will change as they heat up some have to heat up to work properly um we worked with geico and team honda to develop an alloy and heat treating process that provides maximum consistency and modulation at at you know racing levels and it took a while there the first products we had honda tested it and they said well you know it's it's better than most aftermarket stuff but it's not as good as the hrc product and they said you know if you could make these changes to it we'd consider uh running your system right and over the course of three months of testing you know different stainless alloys different heat treating and tempering processes we were able to exceed the performance of the HRC part, and that's how we got our our, our products on you know the top level of, of the sport. Wow! So, like, what what makes a uh, a brake system perform uh, above and beyond? Where where are those uh, those those millimeters and 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 uh, fractions of inches uh, coming from when it comes to uh, basically? Um, gaining that traction that uh, is necessary to drop those lap times because uh, you've heard it time and time again uh the um the races are one in the corners and the biggest difference between an a rider and an uh and a b rider is uh is honestly it's yeah um one of the biggest challenges we have in uh, getting primarily you know amateur riders to 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 try our product is uh, the brakes on their bike are pretty powerful already. You know, any bike made in the last 10 years is generally going to have decent brakes that are pretty easy to lock up. And that's kind of how people look at, you know, how powerful the brake is. Do I, why would I need anything stronger? I can already lock them up whenever I want. Mm-hmm. Well, locking up the wheel is, that's the last thing you want to have happen. You know, you want to have that amount of power, but you want to be able to control it. It's It's very similar to why, the four-stroke has become such an effective tool in motocross. It hooks up, and it's kind of the difference between a two-stroke and four-stroke. Now, the more smoother modulation and, and application of braking force that you can have right up to the edge, the the better performance you're going to get out of it. And that's what we're known for is maximum control and power. And, you know, these guys are, again, they, generally the ideal <clears> – <throat> route around a track and the method is to not use your brakes very much but it's so competitive nowadays that you know if you don't get a great start you've got to work your way up and the way that's done is block passing and to do that you've got to be able to trust your brakes to 
keep you on the track. So you're not, you know, flying off the track if things don't work out, you know, and you see that a lot. There was a race earlier this year. I don't remember which one it was, but I think it was, I think Bogle or no, it was in the 250 class and they were just back and forth. It was Christian Craig. He was okay. swapping, um, you know, first and second, back and forth, back and forth. And Craig was able to outbreak, uh, I don't know if it was Webb or who it was, but they had a battle going for about six or seven laps. And it was an awesome example of how important brakes can be. You know, engine performance is, is obviously very um, important as well, but for $300, you can have a works level brake system compared to, you know, some of these riders at the top level might spend six to $8,000 on engine building you know per race and um, so we offer a great you know low cost high value um, product that that any rider that's racing can take advantage of well that's that is incredible to see that uh, a a company able to bring value to the the customer in a way that uh, is is gonna not only uh keep them safer on the track but like I said drop those lap times because anyone can come screaming into a corner but uh, it, it all often comes up down to who lets off first and uh, who's able to uh, get on the brakes harder latest to uh, to, to make that corner and um, like I, I think of I think of when I when I think of uh, the the benefits uh, of your product I can think of nothing more than the uh, than the start straight because for me, I've always had bad starts because I a, a coast into the corner and b uh, I just don't have as much uh, like a, just a little honestly a little bit timid to get in there sometimes. But nevertheless, uh, if you have the ability to get on the brakes harder later than everybody else, uh, that's going to turn into more hole shots, and more hole shots turns into more top ten finishes because you're only going to go so far back uh, once the the laps start to click off. Yeah, I can remember a comment that. Uh, Christian Kitty made uh, way back when we were first developing our partnership. And uh, Christian's the team technical manager for the Geico Factory Connection team. And, okay. And uh, he said, you know, modulation at this level is so important. You know, when they're coming into a loose sweeping corner and uh, they're, they're going to use the brakes, they have to know and trust their brakes that they're going to perform consistently. Because when you're on loose pack and, and trying to use the brakes, the last thing you want to do is to lock up or have the front end wash out. And if you watch, you know, the, the, the riders at the top of the sport, they're using the brakes, both front and rear to control the bike position where they want, uh, keep the front end in a rut, uh, or the back end, keep it from climbing out of a rut. There, there's so much at that level that, you know, the, I'll never appreciate because I've never ride at that level, but the feedback we get from those guys on what they're able to do with uh, a brake system that they have that amount of control over, it's it's, uh, a great, uh, I guess, endorsement of what we've achieved. So uh, with the increased modulation, is there a learning curve even for the pro guys to uh, get used to the fact that uh, there is that much more space between engaging the brakes and completely uh, locking them up? Like there's actually more, I guess, more of like a range of, of, of how aggressively the, the pads are squeezing uh, before fully, fully locking up the front wheel or the rear wheel? That's the, the common misconception that, you know, I'm concerned that 
I'm going to be locking my brake up all the time. You know, I I already have a, maybe I upgraded to a 260 or 270 or something like that. And I'm concerned about putting your 280 kit on my bike, but the opposite is true. You know, we have a longer uh, ratio lever. So what that gives you is a wider range of applications. So right. you're starting to get feedback, you know, immediately, you know, not like it's locking up, but you can feel it through the lever. Um, and it's less of a light switch. You know, you have, instead of just like maybe the last third to quarter of the brake lever um, movement, um, controlling brake pressure and, and the amount of force being applied to the ground, you have, 70, 80% of that lever movement to, you know, get really good control of it. And, and there is fine tuning with it. You know, some riders like want a really firm lever and to have it not come back to the bar. And we've got options to improve that. We have our pro light lines that are two millimeter inside diameter. They're, they look like a throttle cable. There's some riders that at the pro level that want that. And we do offer those lines now. Um, there's other things you can do with uh, pad compounds and things like that to tailor the, the system how you want it. There's even some riders at the pro level that they kind of like that ABS feel where they can pull the lever all the way back and still have a little, you know, it's not locking up. Uh, and they'll run the stock lines to, to achieve that. Stock lines will generally start to flex uh, around hmm. 15 to 20 hours of use. So what's happening is you create a certain amount of pressure in the line through the hydraulic system. The line just expands instead of applying more brake force. And uh, if you get a, assuming you've got your system bled properly, and if you're still getting kind of a spongy feel um, out of your lever, that's generally because your your stock line is starting to uh, not fail, but it's weakening. The stock lines are just rubber with uh, reinforced fabric on the outside and they will pretty quickly start to flex and expand. Or uh, maintaining their, their brake system. What, what wears out faster than others? And uh, what, what are people going to get see and feel the, uh, the greatest benefits from when it comes to, uh, to upgrading the system and also once it's upgraded, uh, basically upkeep and, uh, and maintaining that system? Um, that's kind of a common question we get. Um, you know, if your stock line is new and, uh, you know, somewhere in that 15 to 20 hour range, you know, it, it's going to perform okay. Um, and it's, it's good to upgrade in stages. Um, a lot of people will put on a line, braided line and the brakes and new pads. And so they're not experiencing which uh, piece of the system had what effect. Yeah. And uh, if, if you're, you know, racing and competitively, uh, it's good to know those things so you can adjust uh, to suit your needs. Um, but generally, I'd say, depending on the bike, some bikes have pretty weak brake systems on them. Um, others are, are pretty good. You know, KTM and Husky are kind of the benchmarks for good stock systems, um, but they can be improved on. Um, so I would generally say, you know, an oversized brake kit is the first place to start. 
then then I would say a line and then you know experiment with different pad compounds. We we have an exclusive compound that we work with AP Racing to develop that this goes back kind of in the early days of our company. We helped Weston Pike quite a bit when he first came on to the scene. He was riding Hondas and he was having problems uh, with everything at that time. <laughs> yeah. He was he'd burned through a set of pads in one moto at a, on a track like Glen Helen. And uh, so we actually pulled some favors with Honda and said, Hey, you know, what do you guys do for bigger, you know, heavier riders? Cause at that time, I think Weston was probably around 230, 240 pounds. Wow. When he first uh, started motocross. He had been trained to be a linebacker and had Clearly. a decision. My, yep. And uh, no wonder he's level. still so beefy today. Like he's probably <laughs> yeah. still like 290, 195 pounds. Yeah. Yeah, so that our pad compound is Honda stock pads are kind of like they're they're really popular. They've got really good modulation, decent life, and uh, no squealing or squeaking or anything. So we kind of went after that feel and performance, uh, but just stepped it up, you know, for um, fade resistance, durability. You know, our, our pads last two to three times longer than the stock Honda pads and provide very similar performance with a little bit more heat rejection at the at the top level of performance. Wow, man. Well, like the, to see the, the company having uh, developed the way it did and uh, and really uh, like getting embraced by uh, the Moto uh, community, as well as uh, the, these teams that uh, genuinely find that uh, your product is uh, is the best available, and like, especially a team like uh, like like uh, Honda or uh, the, the Geico team, like th- those guys have always chose the Uh, being used in uh, an application, I think the, that must have been a feeling for you. Like uh, uh, I've really arrived here. Yeah, uh, I can remember for several years uh, when we tell people that Team Honda or Geico use our brakes, they're like, mm, "Yeah, they do." <laughs> um, you know, people just didn't believe it because they mm-hmm. hadn't heard of us. And yeah, but over time, you know, it's the exposure we've gotten. Uh, interviews and just uh you know being having our logos on the bikes and stuff it's uh it's starting to come around we've gotten the attention uh, you know this last year um before supercross started you know the team's calling us you know looking for uh product to test and that kind of thing and you know we're we're small but you know we've we've done a lot um we don't quite have the budget that some of the the bigger companies have to pay teams to run our stuff but it it's awesome that we can say you know that the top teams in the sport do run our product that it's incredibly valuable to do that and it's that's probably our strongest marketing point and uh you know we try to avoid you know just using all hype we kind of let the performance of our products speak for themselves we have a great warranty and guarantee you know if, if you run our stuff and if ever you're not satisfied with it and can return it for a full refund, then I think in 10 years of doing business, I've only done that once or twice. Wow. And, uh, 
That is um, that's a testament to the product right there. You stand behind it, and uh, you haven't had to do it too many times. Yeah, another thing that's kind of a weird problem to have, but um, our website has this automated thing. Uh, if you say you buy a brake kit or whatever, um, two weeks later you get an email saying, "Hey, how's your blade system performing?" Blah blah blah. You know, and you click this link to rate this product. And it's worked awesome, but a little bit too good. We've got, like, everything's five-star. Uh, we love your products, blah, blah, blah. It makes it look fake. So you have to get some friends to go in there and put some two- and three-star stuff on there. Give it a little uh, – so it doesn't look like we just did it ourselves. Fair enough. Well, like, uh, I'll have to only just go on there and, and uh, explain my displeasure with not having Kawasaki stuff for a 2004 KX125. Yeah, you know, I'd, I'd <laughs> love to work that out for you. That's funny. Um, we've I'm done, you know, we've done like Sean Collier's KX500, but he's running new forks on that thing. So that was easy. It was a direct bolt on. And we have done the R&D on, let's see, YZs. I think we can do back to like 2001 or 2002 on the T-strokes. Um Suzuki, I think we can do back to 2006 or 2008. Um, I've got to get that info up on our site, though. We've, we've got local guys that we work with to figure that stuff out. And, but the early KXs are one that I well, haven't had. Uh, the KX wheels uh, work from, I believe, 2003 up to 2009. So uh, we might be in luck. Yeah. What the get a rotor and maybe have you send me one of the brackets off your bike or something and we'll see sure. if we can figure that out. Definitely. We'll, we'll, we'll work things out. But uh, right now we're going to go to commercial right ba- uh, right now on the Big MX radio podcast show. We'll be right back after these messages from Bill's Pipes and Fly Racing. Hey, everybody. This is Jimmy Button, former factory Supercross rider. When it's time to turn heads, Spokeskins has you covered. Whether it's dirt bikes, street bikes, or bicycles, nobody does it better than Spokeskins. Mix and match your spokes, or go with the same color all the way around. Either way, Spokeskins is the way to go to customize the look of your bike. Uniting off-road riders on every end of the budget spectrum. your bike apart from the rest of the herd, turn some heads, and be able to change your bike's look on the fly, head to spokeskins.net. They don't just have spokeskins on their website, they've got more. New products are being added all the time, like the Motul Slacker Digital Sag Scale, and just recently, Galfer Off-Road Series Rear Brake Lines, Oversized Rotor Kit, and Front Brake Lines as well. So do what I did, head to spokeskins.net. If there's one item to be picky about, it's choosing the right helmet. I'm Andrew Short, and I choose the F2 Carbon from Fly Racing. You too can wear the exact same helmet I wear, Trey Kennard wears, Jimmy Albertson wears, and many others. The F2 Carbon is a helmet loaded with details that make a huge difference in comfort and safety. Lightweight materials, phenomenal airflow, and a super comfortable, sweat-absorbing liner 
shirts and generous iPort design to accommodate any goggle choice or just a few. And did I mention how super tricky these helmets look? Straight off the shelf and onto the racetrack. If you are looking for one amazing helmet, look no further than the F2 Carbon from Fly Racing. For more information about Fly Helmets and other products from Fly Racing, visit them on the web at flyracing.com. What's wrong, Jeff? I don't know, Jay. Well, you better fuel up with a nutritious breakfast with Oats and Bran. Oats and Bran? I didn't think there was such a thing. That's what I used to think. Cereal bees, Emigos. That's what I call fueling for the big ride. Hey, kids, start out every morning with a fat bowl. In motocross, everyone wants one common thing to simply enjoy the ride. Sand, clay, loam, or concrete, and everything in between. Riders all want to be able to enjoy their ride. But today is Arena Cross. Tomorrow's Glen Helen, and Saturday, we're heading to this gnarly sand track. Define 105 millimeters. Does this tape even have millimeters on it? Forget that. Head to motool.co today and set your sag every time you ride with the Slacker Digital Sag Scale. Let's hear from Johnny K. Spear himself and how this thing works. So uh, really basically you would just uh, stick it on your axle with the magnet, stick the clip on your side plate, basically where the arc of the axle turn it on and then just take the bike off the stand and, and take a measurement. It's that easy. Trust tuning your suspension to Johnny Casebeer and Motul MX. So, what do you think of Rich Taylor? Lighter than air and stronger than steel. So what that means is it can move much faster. 2014 X-Brand Goggles is back and better than ever. race day. The quality of X-Brand products is second to none. Great lenses, incredible frame, and a strap that doesn't wear out. Great tear-offs, zip-off systems, nose guard, and more. Check out eksbrand.com for all of the accessories and WUSA is your one-stop shop for quality wheel sets in America. All of the best components built for the toughest conditions. Hit up WUSA.com, that's D-U-B-Y-A-U-S-A.com right now and check out the custom wheel builder selection.
Talon and Kite Aluminum Hubs, Galfer and Brembo Brakes, and spokes that take a lickin' and keep on ticking. The same wheels that you buy are built by the same guys we're building wheels for. Ryan Dungey, Jeremy Martin, Chad Reed, and the entire Geico Honda team. And I kid you not, if they are not told whose wheels are whose, they just build amazing product. And I want you guys in a set of W wheels. So do what I did and head to WBYAUSA.com today. WUSA, all things wheels. What's up guys? It's time to talk a little bit about Roy Borden Race. He's the performance specialist. Suspension, making a motor work, balancing a bike, or just maintenance. He's got the tools and know-how to make sure that your bike is ready on race day or practice. Roy Borden has strength in years of experience and the best technology and best tools at his disposal. Whether you're getting your forks redone, seals, or a full, full-blown full rebuild on your forks or, or shock. Call up Roy Borton today at 204-633-2722. Hey guys, Bill's Pipes is back, and that means the return of legendary performance. Two strokes, check. Four strokes, check. Since 1974, they've been... two-stroke levers, the MX2 Bill's Pipe exhaust system is flat out the right choice to make. Nickel, works, and the brand new cone look is the right system for the job. When it comes to four-strokes, Bill's Pipes brings the RE13 to decimate the field anywhere, anytime. So if you want the same pipe used by Billy Leninovich, Sean Collier, Vicky Golden, and the entire Barn Pros Home Depot Yamaha team, head over to Bill'sPipes.com today and never settle. Hey, this is Scott Hart with Motostuff.com, and you're listening to the Big MX Radio Podcast from Brad up in his igloo in the Great White North. Hey, this is Alex Ray. I don't know if, why you're... Hey, this is Zach Cummins. All you hosers, quit listening to Nickelback and jump on over to the Big MX Radio Show. Hey guys, this is Kate Clayson, and not only do I blow uh, Alex Ray's doors off in the track, but I do it at K1 speed too. Line with Scott Hart of Moto Stuff, and uh, Scott, I gotta ask you: um, over the years of uh, of working with your product and developing it, and uh, developing an amazing reputation with both the riders, the teams. Like uh, just regular customers that stand out that are always blowing through uh, product, or is there any uh, any particular rider other than maybe Weston Pike who uh, really puts your stuff through its paces? Um, I think that's an area that you know we're we're proud to say our stuff is extremely durable. Um, we've probably had five, maybe six rotors uh, returned that got bent um, in Supercross. Rarely, I, I can't think of any uh, 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 case where a retail customer had uh, problems with bending the rotor. We, the alloy that we use is high memory. It can take a pretty good impact and return to its uh, an original straight position. And we also strive for 
5,000 total run out in production. So our stuff's really straight right out of the box. That's one of the things we hear from the team technicians. They love our stuff because it's, you know, they bolt it all up, get it on there, and they can spin that front wheel, and it just spins like stock, you know, and which is not always the case. Um, let's see. I think Supercross, Arena Cross, again, probably only had, I think, Barsha, Dana Rotor, again, from Impact, Bam Bam, I guess you could say. <laughs> yes, sir. And uh, then I had uh, uh, one European rider that we, we sponsor, Adam Chatfield. He's been to a couple. I'm not sure. No rhyme or reason to it. You know, teams like Geico, they've still got rotors that are probably eight or ten years old that they run on their practice bikes. That, wow. That's how durable our stuff is. Um, and uh, not so good for us because we don't get much in the way of uh, repeat sales or replacement. Our stuff doesn't wear out. But, you know, we just we want to make it how we would want it. And we use the best materials and processes to, to achieve that. Well, like one of the, like uh, I, I know the uh, not having re- repeat. Fact is, is that you have stuff that lasts so long, uh, very much like a, a set of uh, uh, W wheels. John Anderson, we've been on this show, and one of the things I talked about with him is the fact that uh, the wheels are so strong and your brakes are so uh, like the durability is so strong that uh, you can take a set of wheels and you can set a set of brakes from one bike, and uh, if you stick with the same manufacturer and as, as long as everything lines up, you can move that that high quality product forward to further upgrade uh, your your next OEM uh, uh, bike. Uh, which is uh, which is a pretty cool feature right there. Yeah, that that's very common. You know, I get emails or calls from customers that have brakes that they've had on two or three bikes over the years. You know, some six or eight years even. And well, uh, you know, we love hearing that. You know, as much as uh, it, it's not great for business to miss out on those uh, replacement or you know wear item sales, but um, it definitely helps build. Uh, the customers trust in us and that we make a good product. Um, another thing that we, a uh, big challenge that we have to overcome with riders is kind of educating them about, in our opinion, the, the, the technology of floating rotors. You know, we feel that that is misplaced in off-road. Um, again, that's kind of how I got into it was I had a, a floating rotor system from one of the, the popular companies. And after about, you know, probably four or five months, it, it started making a lot of noise, and it seems to be a pretty common story that we hear from customers is very similar situation, and you know, dirt, water, sand get in those contact points on the the rivets that hold all that um, assembly together, and starts to wear, and as it wears, it makes more space and more uh, ma- uh, material can get in there, and just rapidly wears, and um, there's been a few failures at uh, the top of the sport. I think Stewart and Brayton have both had separation of the outer um, swept area from the inner inner carriers. And, you know, I do see some of the top brands in the pits replacing rivets and things like that on the floating rotors, but I, I don't think the average rider is aware of it. You know, it, it's an item that you should be inspecting and, and checking 
and either I don't know if it's possible for the end user to do maintenance on those rivets or if it's just becomes a replacement part, but that is, uh, it is a, something that we struggle with educating the market or convincing writers that, you know, it looks cool. It, it seems like it's more high tech. It's very common on street bikes. And, um, in our opinion, that technology was developed, uh, for street use where you have a, you know, a five, 600 pound bike that can go 140, 150 miles an hour and yeah. get extreme amounts of traction on pavement and generate massive amounts of heat really quickly. And the rotor has got to be able to expand and contract rapidly to prevent it from warping. And, and that's what floating rotors do. And on a dirt bike, you've got a floating caliper, you know, to a, to take up for minor variations in the, the um, rotor. If there's any slight bending, the caliper can float and, and you're not going to feel a, pulsing through the lever. Um, but when you have a floating rotor and a floating caliper, all that play has to be taken up on every application of the brake. And it'll vary. That's one of the things that creates the inconsistency is depending on the loads and impacts, you know, it, it might be nice and quick one time or it might take a little more lever travel to get everything uh, functioning or, you know, to get the brake performance you're expecting. So, that's our opinion that solid rotors are much better suited to off-road applications, last longer, much more consistent, and uh, better performance all around. I couldn't agree more. Actually, it's one of the things that I, I kind of I wouldn't. I always found it weird that uh, well, like I was like one time I was sitting on my bike with the front brake uh, held wide in, and I could ro- kind of roll the bike back and forth like almost uh, like an eighth of an inch or like or maybe more like a half an inch back and forth, back and forth. And I was like the brakes itself, they're they're it was sliding back and forth inside that that uh, um, that system that that braking system. And I was thinking to myself, I'm like that's not that's not good. Yeah, and it's. You know, I've got a a rotor that uh, floating popular floating rotor that Matt Bichelia sent me way back, right as he was uh, turning pro before he got on with Geico. Actually, it was in that process. You know, he's like, "Hey, you got to see this rotor. It's it's got 20 hours on it, and uh, you can see through three of the rivets, the the buttons." Wow! And it was like just you know very close to catastrophic failure. And um, that that just kind of reinforced the, our our position. And unfortunately, some of the other top brands are starting to come back around to solid rotors, you know, which is good. It's safer for the sport, but we had hoped to kind of own that area. <laughs> no kidding. But uh, like, uh, there's a couple of different. motostuff.com and uh you can find there's more than just brakes on there but uh like something rather curious is that you have the blade system as well as uh, a perfectly uh round uh disc as well what's uh, what are the greatest differences between the two and uh... that's a great question we've got a few options and uh comes up 
pretty frequently what size should I run, what style should I run. That classic round system is the design we started with, and we, we had discontinued it back in 2005 or 2006. But a lot of guys wanted it just because it, you know, they were building like McGrath or Carmichael replicas that had that style of uh, rotor on it. Mm-hmm. The, the HRC 280 millimeter. Uh, Classic, if you will. Pull. Exactly. So we brought it back, and there's some guys, I even have modern bike guys use them because it does have a little more material, so it will run a little cooler and last a little longer. You know, it's not a problem we have with our, our blade brakes, but some guys just prefer to go that direction. They don't right. want anything flashy looking. Um, then we have 260, 270, and 280 uh, diameter uh, for mainly for Honda. And there's several reasons for that. Um, for several years, Geico ran 260 millimeter in Supercross and then 280 millimeter in outdoors. And the reason for running smaller brakes in Supercross is just because there's so much more potential for contact with other riders and, you know, blocks passing. The starts are much more gnarly, um, that kind of thing. So they wanted to, they ran smaller diameter, diameter rotors to minimize uh, problems with them having bent from impact and uh, more powerful 280 millimeter brakes for outdoors. And what was happening is they just had, you know, each rider has three or four bikes. They've got their practice bikes. They've got their race bike, their backup race bike. And each of those bikes has two or three sets of wheels with different tire compounds and things like that on it. It's just becoming a nightmare for them to manage all the different fork lug adapter brackets, the different rotors. And they decided to kind of just split the difference and go with the middle. And that's how we came up with our 270. And that's what they've been running for the past, uh, gosh, probably in six years. Okay. And uh, for a long time, we didn't offer that rotor just because it, it had a couple of uh, uh, additional details in the machine process that we didn't have on our retail product. Uh, primarily, the leading edge of the rotor is um, treated with a bevel process that um, helps minimize uh, problems with small impacts from like rocks and things like that. Do you imagine a a rock hitting the front of the rotor and you know, you're doing 40 miles an hour, the rock's coming at you at 30. It can do some damage and it can no mushroom kidding. it out. So instead of having that finish your race, they, they bevel that to give it a little bit of ability to absorb that mushrooming effect and not uh, cause a pulsing in the brakes. So that's expensive to do. It's like, costs like 40 bucks to do that. Um, to each rotor. We did get a, yeah. So, but we did start getting enough inquiries like, Hey, I'd like to get the exact thing that Geico's running. So we now have that available on our site. And then the 260 stuff was, uh, with team Honda, they had these very, uh, unique brackets that they were using that, um, we just couldn't, <clears throat> justify manufacturing in the, the small volume. You know, we, we typically make caliper brackets 100 or 200 at a time. And, you know, they wanted like 20 of them. And uh, so we just kind of made a compromise and ended up running, making two sixty millimeter breaks for them. 
And uh, now that since 2015, the Hondas are coming with 260 stock. We we decided to offer that HRC rotor as a an option for riders that wanted to do kind of like a in between upgrade instead of going with our full 280 kit. They can run a 260 rotor with their stock caliper hanger and uh, and still get some of the benefits of the the material and heat treating process that we use. So um, as far as uh, the material themselves. Now, like uh, obviously there's a, there's a progression in, uh, in development in general, but uh, like if um, the, the biggest, what would be the biggest difference from uh, the first, uh, uh, the first disc that you, you'd uh, produce to, to what you have now? Well, when we started, we kind of did what everybody else does. We, we were using a, a 420 stainless. That's pretty much industry standard. It's good, you know, decent wear, decent modulation. It's what comes on all the bikes from the factory stock, and it's what all the aftermarket companies use. Um, and the feedback we got from Honda was, here, try this material. And it was quite a bit more expensive, but they it was kind of a requirement to do business with them. They they spec this material, and that's kind of come become our secret recipe. That along with we took that material and we heat treated it uh, in four different hardness levels, and they uh, tested it. I think it was Loraco, Canard, and one other rider back around when was it? 2005 or 2006 the name's not coming to me at the moment but we sent them four variations of the the product they tested them and they picked the one they wanted and that became our the recipe that we use for our retail product too so um who who gives you the best feedback as far as testing goes who are some of the the most uh, finicky and uh, guys who really know what's going on on their on their motorcycles because uh like i i know there's a, there's a ton of guys who are in tune with their motorcycles and then i know that there's a lot of guys uh, probably someone like a weston pike that uh for lack of a better term probably just says fuck it i'll ride it yeah i think uh, i thought we'd get more feedback from riders, but I'd say, you know, Kevin Wyndham was probably the, the biggest uh, contributor to how our product was developed. Um, and he's a very, uh, not picky, but uh, brakes are very important to him. Um, and he uses the, brack, the, the back brake uh, probably more than most any rider that we've worked with. Okay. Sits down a lot, uses it to... Uh, you know, keep it was almost forty. <laughs> yeah, yeah. There's probably that's probably got something to do with a lot of these younger riders. Like you say, you know, they they, they didn't come up through the ranks wrenching on their own bikes, uh, understanding what products worked, what didn't, what lasts a long time, what gives them good feedback. Um, and that's just part of the sport nowadays. Um, um, we do get some feedback from uh, privateers, but. Generally speaking, God, probably for the past five or six years, our, we've just kind of had the product dialed and haven't had any any issues last long time. I mean, it, we visit, you know, all the, the privateers and, and the teams that we work with, pro teams, 
um, when we go to the races, you know, we typically go to two or three supercross events a year and then to all the Northwest, um, outdoor races and some of the California events. And, you know, we always stop in and say, Hey, how's stuff going? And, and it's, it, it's just amazing. We always get awesome feedback and, you know, no requests for change, which is, it's good. We do have some new stuff coming. That's pretty exciting. We can't talk about it yet, but in about six weeks, we're going to release a new product that's going to be, uh, hope we hope to take over that segment of the market that, that it sits in. Boom, and it's, well, it's pretty exciting and, and cool. Let's <laughs> go ahead and say that. Uh, we'll... <laughs> and, and talk a little bit about that product and a little bit of a teaser going forward. But um, like, even though that product isn't yet on the website, there's plenty of uh, products that are and enough to make any more. Uh, motostuff.com between footbags to uh, the uh, the motostuff steel braided lines for uh, every single uh, every color under the sun including uh, well not only every color but every color combination you can think of um, and uh, it's a really cool site and uh, easy to, to get around what are some of the, the highlights that uh, on the site that we haven't yet talked about um, besides the blade brake system we we're also the, the North American distributor for split stream racing products, which uh, they make uh, high flow water pump systems that increase uh, coolant flow by around 15 to 20%. And generally that product's not needed for normal everyday riding. It's if you're raising the compression on your engine or at, at the pro level where the duty cycle of uh, load is dramatically different from what most of us are putting on these engines. Um, it can, it can be helpful there. It can lower coolant temperatures 15 to 20 degrees, which is something you wouldn't want to do normally. You only want to do that if you're having a problem with, uh, maintaining, uh, proper operating temperature. This is ideally, you know, there's a certain range where you want the engine to be performing temperature wise. But if it's exceeding that and, you know, uh, boiling over or detonating, that's what these water pumps can improve. And uh, they also have one water pump that was built for the 2014 and 15 YZ250Fs. That, that bike had, I'm not going to say a design flaw, but it had a lot of premature failures with the, uh, the water pump impeller design uh, which is not a good thing to have happen because you don't know when it happens and by the time you figure it out you know your motor's probably toast so uh, replaced several plastic parts with all billet steel parts and that's been popular as well as the as the bling, because if you're looking to bling out a uh, a bike of any uh, any manufacturer, uh, Moto Stuff's the place to go. You mu- you sir must be a big fan of uh, of the billet aluminum uh, fasteners because uh, littered all over the website, all kinds of colors, and uh, uh, I can only imagine that uh, the bikes that you ride on the weekends are uh, are sporting uh, a full kit because uh, I, honestly, I, I'm I'm just just drooling looking at some of these uh uh the 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 en- engine 
the engine fasteners and the uh, the caps and stuff like that. Really cool stuff. Yeah. Um, a buddy of mine that I race with, Ian Hamilton, he owns IRP Racing and he makes these really trick billet fastener kits for the bodywork of the bikes. Those your like your side plates, the radiator shrouds. Um, that's the base 12 bolt kit. And he also does a big like 32 bolt kit that adds your fork guards, brake line clamp bolts, uh, fender bolts, front number plate bolts. And they're super trick, lightweight. Um, they're all made out of really high grade aluminum. So you don't have to worry about snapping them off. And, uh, between those two kits, you've got a, a body fastener kit and a engine fastener kit. You can you can knock almost a pound and a half off the bike, and it's it's like one tenth the price of titanium, and it's half the weight of titanium. A lot of you know teams will spend two thousand dollars just on a front end titanium kit to, to save half a pound, where you know you could use aluminum and save more and save a lot of money plus that's another thing about our brake kits you know we're the lightest 280 kit out there by uh, over a quarter pound which is a lot on the front end of your bike no um, doubt so, so you, well uh, we've got all those billet fastener kits and yeah we've got them in natural silver geico gray because we that's a we do a lot of fasteners for geico we've got blue and red and uh, those those are really popular. That's a that's a good seller for us, and we're the exclusive distributor for for IRP. And let's see, Split Stream has also got some cool suspension products for the, the Kawasaki's and Hondas. But on the air forks, it'll tie the two fork legs together, so you'll have a single central fill point. Uh, improves the accuracy, and it also makes it a lot easier to to get to. And Blitzstream started a new company last year called ProPegs. They're out of the Netherlands, and um, it's a kind of top-of-the-market titanium peg that's pretty gnarly. Um, I even hesitated around for a while because I thought they would just chew the heck out of my boots. But one thing that we've been finding and, and getting reported from riders is uh, the wear on your boot soles goes way down because your foot stays planted. It's not sliding all over the place, tearing up your boot. And hmm. uh, another thing that I was concerned about with these really aggressive uh, pegs is uh, you're going to have to lift your foot anytime you want to reposition it. But it uh, the amount of confidence and secure feeling you get with them, you know, larger platform and your foot stays planted, or, or you know, if you're in the whoops or something and your foot gets kind of knocked sideways. Even if you're just on the last third of that peg, uh, you've got a real good solid platform still, and you're not going to, you know, have your foot fly off the peg at the wrong time, which could be catastrophic off the face of a jump or something. Well, that's one of the comments that I always get every time I uh, I, I throw a set of your uh, your pegs up on the, my Instagram is that people comment, oh, like uh, say goodbye to your boot soles or. Or uh, uh, wouldn't want to wouldn't want to uh, like get the business end of one of those. But the fact is, is that uh, with that added grip, you have just that much more control over your motorcycle. And uh, as, as as you've commented back to a few of those people over the years, uh, couldn't be further from the truth. Less damage to the uh, the bottom of the boot. And let's be honest, uh, like there there's like pe- people like they they 
they try and get four or five years out of a set of boots. Um, pretty un- unrealistic considering after, uh, like, just like uh, things on your bike have uh, have an hour meter on them, so should boots with uh, the amount of time that we spend on them, flexing them. They're, uh, at some point, they don't uh, they don't protect the same, and uh, uh, once the, the sole is, is worn out, chances are the rest of the boots get worn out as well. Yeah, I'd say that that's a that's a great point. You know, there's if you're wearing a, out your soles, there have been some boots made over the years that just try new materials and things that they just wear out uh, prematurely. But all in all, I think most boot manufacturers now have figured it out, and it's they're they're working lasting just about as long as the boot should last. And again, you know, it's your boots kind of become your old friend when they get broken in and soft, but they do start to have, you know, weak ankle support and that kind of thing. So that's a good point. Um, the, the feedback we get on these titanium pegs, you know, we've got privateers like Nick Schmidt. Uh, I think who else we got here. There's a couple of guys that have given me feedback that like, man, these things last incredibly long. You know, I, I was going through pegs, you know, maybe every three, four months, I'd, you know, sharpen them for a while. And it got to the point where there wasn't anything left to sharpen. And guys are getting, the pros are getting, you know, a full season or two out of these pro pegs. And uh, that's that's another point. You know, if you're a privateer and on a budget, you know, you're, you're going to save by investing in a product like this, get much better performance in life out of it. You know, I know... Uh, Competing at that level, you want to give yourself every uh, advantage that you can, and a, a good solid peg like that it makes a huge difference, and it's a good investment. Couldn't agree more. So, um, a couple of quick questions before I let you go. Um, one of the th- like I kind of wanted to uh, like put it in a hypothetical situation. Uh, pretend uh, I walk into the store that is uh, MotoStuff.com. I'm uh, a mid-level B rider looking to uh, just uh, to outfit my bike with uh, the the like. Uh, Best product possible. Um, what, what's, what's what would you make as a suggestion as what I'm going to get the most amount of value out of, and uh, and kind of uh, like uh, outfit me to, head to toe as far as uh, what's available over at MotoStuff.com. Well, generally that does happen. You know, we get um, amateur riders come to the shop or come up to our booth at the track and uh, want to know what they can do to you know, improve their, their performance. And first thing I ask them is, you know, what do you like about your bike? What don't you like about it? And then try to get some feedback on what they're struggling with or where they can improve. And, and a lot of times it's going to be suspension or motor tuning, things like that. But if, you know, and if brakes don't come up, I talk to them about that and uh, kind of go through some of the stuff we covered here earlier in the, the conversation about, the importance of learning to use your brakes properly. That's one of the things I see not so much nowadays as I used to, but you know, guys would be really fast, but they didn't know how to use their brakes. They would use their back brakes all the time. And 90% of the brake performance out of your bike is from the front, you know, just because of the physics of uh, weight transfer when you're on the, on the front brake and, 
um, versus Weir. And you know, it's still important to know how to use your back brake, but um, you can make huge improvements in lap times by learning how to, to use your brakes. There's a couple guys up here in the Northwest that do uh, rider training classes and that kind of thing. And they put a lot into, you know, going over the importance of braking, learning how to, to brake properly, threshold braking, where to begin braking, how to pass by when using your brakes and those kind of things. And it uh, that's probably the, the biggest thing that we're going to focus on because that's what we specialize in. Um, but we do, you know, foot tags can help if you're at that level. Um, most, some of the stuff we have is just bling, you know, the, a lot of the billet stuff. It's, you have to be it's pretty high up in the sport to uh, take advantage of the weight savings um, that those products offer. And, and most guys just put them on for, for appearance and that kind of thing. But, but that's confidence, yeah. man. Confidence gets you results. That's true. Yep. You look good. You you're gonna ride good, and if you and even if you don't ride good, you still look good. Yep, yep. So, um, uh, you you are for obviously you're the uh, the the Northwest, um, and you, you're you're right in the thick of things. I wonder if you have a Jay Whipple story. Jay Whipple, I'm not sure what you mean. Jay, like Jay Whipple, the like he's I believe he's from Washington. From the Oregon area, he used to race back in the late '90s, early 2000s. Professional could could be I I recognize the name, but I don't recall his career story. Fair enough. Well, then, who who would you say uh, of that area was the best rider who never uh, made it as far as they should have? Uh, there's a few. You know, we've got. Uh, current rider that I still think has potential to be competitive at the top level. It's Tommy Week. Um, he's just uh, just amazing to watch ride and, you know, that a lot of the guys that uh, are uh, competitive in Supercross come back up here during breaks or after the Supercross season and Tommy rides away from them. It's pretty amazing. Um there's been a few guys way back in the day, like uh, let's see some of the Wash Eagle guys, uh, Brigette. Who else did we have? Uh, I should know these guys. They were, you know, like my childhood uh, heroes back when I was racing. Um, going, to, I can remember going to Wash Eagle back in the, the late seventies and. Watching the guys, Chuck's son. Obviously, he made it. He had a great career. Um, yeah, I don't know. There's there's quite a few. I mean, it is so tough to to make it nowadays to the top level. Um, you know, we had um, let's see what's the fellow's name from. Uh, he's got a really good uh, training facility up here. Uh, Landon Courier. You know he. He made it up to the, the top level and then got hurt and yeah. he ended up uh, yeah. opening up a uh, random career athlete training. He's doing really well. Um, so, yeah, there's been plenty of them. We've only had a few Villapotos come out of here. <laughs> 
What was it like watching that kid grow up? Obviously, didn't have the, the same amateur success as uh, as the eight hundred, but uh, up, up there, probably uh, ruled the roost uh, uh, for for many years. And uh, uh, honestly, if in my humble opinion, if uh, if he if he uh, had the itch to continue his career, I think he could probably come back in two thousand and seventeen, pick up right where he left off, and maybe click off a couple more championships. Yeah, I think that you know. Regarding uh, Villa Toto, the thing that stands out most for me is uh, just I remember the Wash Eagle, it was probably 2004, 2005, when he was just coming onto the pro scene on a uh, Kawasaki 125, just watching him rail corners. You know, previous to that, Mike Brown was like the most impressive 125 rider I had seen. And then uh, I can remember standing uh, in the corner just watching Villapoto rail this one corner. It's like, it's just unbelievable. You know, we have fast, there's fast guys that I race against with that get lapped by local fast pros. And then there's local fast pros that get lapped by guys like Villapoto on our own tracks. It's just incredible. And those kind of things are just would make this sport so exciting and just like, you know, unbelievable sometimes what these riders can do oh without a doubt like uh i I get around the local track one of the tracks that i I know best i do all the jumps and i feel like a rock star and then one of um like one of the guys who's currently running uh moto stuff jimmy dakotas who's dating uh all right he's dating a a girl from manitoba he flies by the guy who flew by me and knowing full well that uh there's a hot there's a good likeliness that at some point during uh during this this That he might find himself a lap down to uh, a guy like Cooper Webb or uh, one of his other Geico teammates because these guys, they're like the that one percent that they can find over the next guy just adds up to seconds by the end of the moto, and uh, it's it's absolutely incredible. I remember seeing got local riders that uh, I thought were absolute gods on motocross bikes go to a, a Canadian national, ended up two laps down, and at the same time when JSR could barely, uh, who was winning at the time, uh, John Sebastian Wah. Uh, that guy could barely crack a top ten in a, in, a, in, a, in a moto, which those guys weren't on the lead lap. Yeah, it's really mind blowing the, the speed that these guys ride at. But in the corners, that's where it's happening. You know, you know these bikes can only apply so much traction in a straight line. You know, you know that's CR five hundred. That's why they're not winning races. <laughs> it's the ability to put it down and and then keep it hooked up you know, coming in and out of those corners. And those guys are just mind-blowingly fast. <laughs> Couldn't agree more, man. Well, um, where can people find more information? How can they follow you on social media to uh, keep tabs on the brand? And, uh, and, and uh, if, if for nothing else, uh, find out when that new uh, new product is coming out in about six weeks. Um, our website is most up-to-date and great place for information. And that's just motostuff.com. And then Instagram, we're motostuff underscore com. And Facebook is, again, I think it's just motostuff. And we'll pop up there. And uh, we j- 
just started a new blog. There's only a couple of entries on it, but, but we have a uh, email list that we maintain of about right now. I think we've got like six or seven thousand writers on it, and we send that out with blog links and video updates and things like that. And uh, you know, we're pretty hands-on. You can generally catch me here uh, at the shop just about any time, and you know that's really important to us to kind of maintain that uh, communication with our customers and writers. And um, it's one thing that amazes a lot of the, the teams and writers that we work with is that they're generally dealing with me. <laughs> so that's, that's kind of how we operate. Cool. It's a, it's a great company and, uh, and you're a great company on this phone call. Really appreciate you coming on and giving uh, Big MX Radio some time to, uh, to allow my listeners to kind of get introduced to you as well as the brand. Uh, I hope that uh, all of those who are listening uh, really uh, take to heart the, uh, the advantages and benefits of uh, the, the Moto Stuff brand and, and put the stuff to work for you guys because uh, that, that's, that's why we do these podcasts is to inform uh, so you guys can make an educated uh, decision with your your hard earned dollars to uh, improve the motorcycle, improve your safety, and uh, and make sure that uh, uh, late in the moto you got uh, a little bit more uh, front brake at the at at, uh, at the ready. Yeah, well, thanks, Brad, for the opportunity to speak with your followers, and uh, congratulations on the growth of your your media channels. You know, it's just been amazing to watch you grow. I think we've you know. I remember it was probably just a year and a half, two years ago when you first launched it. And, uh, man, it's just been explosive growth and it all comes out of your passion. I mean, it, you know, there's, there's no missing it in what you post and how you speak about sport and all the things that you've achieved with the different interviews you've been able to put together. It's uh, pretty amazing. Well, I really appreciate it. that. Means a lot to me. Uh, I, I just uh, work at this stuff uh, every day after uh, a long day uh, laying bricks, and it's it's guys like yourself who uh, who help kindle this this passion I have for it. I believe this is uh, podcast number two hundred and seventy three or four, and uh, and there'll be uh, many many more to come. And for for as long as there's Big MX Radio podcasts, there will be uh, Moto stuff on the Big MX Radio podcast. Uh, flying the flag for you for for, for quite some time, and exa- and, and you're and you're exactly right. When I first called you back in December 2014, uh, my Instagram boasted 1,400 followers, uh, and uh, th- lately I think I, I I've I gain about 1,400 every month. So uh, I, it's awesome. it's it's pretty it's pretty cool. I absolutely love it. I love uh, speaking passionately about motocross, and like I said, it's guys like you who uh, who help grow that passion. So thank you for giving me the the time. Thank you for uh, giving me the inspiration to continue doing these all the time. And uh, keep keep doing what you do, man, because what you do is good. Thanks, man. Have a great evening. You as well. All right. Perfect. Thank you for listening to the Big MX Podcast, brought to you by X-Brand Goggles. Be sure to check out our archive for episodes you may have missed. Check out our website at BigMXRadio.com for more content.
Another day is nearly done A darker gray is breaking through a lighter one A thousand sharpened elbows in the underground That hollow hurried sound Feet on polished floor And in the dollar store The clerk is closing up And counting loonies trying not to say I hate Winnipeg The driver checks the mirror seven minutes late Riders' restlessness enunciates The guess who suck the jets were lousy anyway The same route every day And in the turning lane Someone stalled a game He's talking to himself And here's the price of gas, repeat his phrase I hate Winnipeg And up above all leaning into sky a golden business boy will watch the north end die and sing I love this town then let his arcing wrecking ball proclaim Winnipeg